Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov. Petko, hi. Hey, Rachel. You know, we're going to talk about something fun today, aren't we? Oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. I love this topic so much. So let me just jump into it. All right. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Greg Edwards. He is the founder and CTO of Canary, formerly serves as their CEO since its beginnings in 2015. And okay. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Greg, but I want to get into this favorite topic of ransomware that you guys work on. <laughs> Absolutely. <well. laughs> Rachel and Petco, thanks for having me. So I'm Greg Edwards, the CTO and founder of Canary, and we're a, a deception technology company that stops actively running ransomware attacks that get, get through the other lines of defense. And there's so much to talk about here. Um, and I, you know, I always have a bad habit of just jumping into the meat of the matter. But I, I think for for our our listeners who may be new to deception technology, we've never really delved into that, um, you know, to those capabilities or, or talked about that realm. Would you kind of give us a little bit of a foundation setting landscape? Yeah. So deception technology has been around for for a long time, fifteen years at least, as far as I know. Uh, and really, what it is, is it's it's deploying decoys or canary files uh, out into an environment so that those files are attacked first, rather than the actual data files of the company that's being protected. And they can be honeypot servers, so an entire set of servers or individual files. So, and really, it is that canary in the coal mine is uh, is what they're there for to to take take the take the brunt of an attack and be able to stop it before it gets into the rest of the production environment. That's kind of amazing. Sorry, go ahead, Pickle. So, Greg, I, I, I'm thinking with deception. Like, I've always think, thought of it as, hey, I can emulate my environment and have the attackers go down this rabbit hole. Right, that's the network level detection. There's also like the credential side of it where you can have like some fake accounts that if they get used, that becomes a canary and you know that you have to go to wherever they were used. You took that a step further and said, let's create some decoy documents we monitor. And if they ever get changed, because we know they should not get changed, then we got hit with ransomware in that endpoint and we need to roll back stuff. Does that sound about right? Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. And it takes that time to detection mm -hmm. from what can be hours or days okay. sometimes down to seconds and even less than seconds that it stops it so it mitigates that damage of a ransomware attack so that there's it doesn't take the the entire company down it, you know one of the hardest things with ransomware is it's knowing where it starts sometimes you know you, you get hit with it mm -hmm. and i'm thinking back in the days of let's say some of the large offices that got hit over the weekend, you let you come in, you don't know where to start. You don't know what happened. You don't know how bad the infection is. I, I think, I mean, ransomware is such a impactful solution, but 
I also like, I'm worried about like, you know, false positives sometimes or false negatives, if you will, because when you, with, especially with a sock, how many times, oh, don't worry about that. It, it's not ransomware. It's something else. It's encryption. It's actually our encryption that we use to encrypt our own files. <laughs> but I, I think deception technology that you have is really interesting because it's like a hundred percent or zero percent false positives, right? You know, every time it hits, Correct. it hits. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that accuracy is what makes our solution so powerful and to be able to stop those attacks. And again, these are attacks that if Canary wasn't there, then these attacks would be continuing to run. And whether that's, I mean, a lot of the times now these attacks, they'll set to start on a weekend so that, you know, mm -hmm. seven o'clock Friday night, it starts running and nobody notices until they come in. And so with Canary to be able to stop that attack in its tracks and send the notification of who is that patient zero, where did it start uh, and what files were, were hit to start with is, I, I mean, it's a, it's a game changer. It sounds like it. I mean, it, it, especially with ransomware being such, um, it's just such a, a, a difficult problem, right? Because it's, it's not just the, the breaching of the data, um, but it's also the, the payment on the back end. And then you've got, you know, cyber insurance that they're not really covering things anymore, you know, and, and you can get, you know, the yep. treasury department can, can fine you if you pay and it's a nation state actor. And then I, I, I read this article in Wired, they said ransomware attacks have entered a heinous new phase where now the attackers are frustrated that people are not wanting to pay. So they're threatening to release things like pictures of cancer patients. I mean, Greg, this is crazy. Yeah. 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 So some of the some of the worst are when um, like school systems are hit all the time um, and when they're releasing data about kids and the probably the worst that I've seen is when they're releasing like mental health information on yes, children. Yes. Like like they have no I mean, obviously zero morals, but you would think it like somewhere that kicks in like we eh, maybe we shouldn't do this. It's yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I see no. that's the part that's kind of getting me and it's it just seems like everybody could benefit from 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 this kind of technology. And you think about it from, you know, even the smallest organizations. I mean, it's we've heard, you know, like uh, Beverly Hills plastic surgeons, <laughs> you know, have all these pictures they want to protect. But also uh, you think about, you know, governments. Right. It's uh, I think what was it last month? The U.S. Marshal Service had a, a ransomware attack and it wasn't the first time. Is that correct? Um, it was the first time that the U.S. Okay. Marshals, at least that particular one was hit that I'm aware of. So, but yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that anyone is vulnerable. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it just causes one cause. So, um, so deception technology though is, is one aspect, right? I mean, I think it, as in it comes to security, it's, there's this kind of holistic approach. And so how are a lot of the organizations thinking about this that you're working with? Yeah. So what we recommend is, is defense in depth. And that's really what all companies should be looking at as, as how, how do we put in multiple layers of defense so that we are protected from you know, whatever kind of cyber attack is hitting. So in that, that starts with the very basics of just having good network hygiene and really all starts with a network inventory and knowing right. what you have 
which so many companies don't. It's it's insane. I was gonna say, I mean, I've seen deception kind of emerge from a standalone solution to like now being integrated into so many different things like EDR and XDR. And then you have like some that are integrated into networks and some that are putting it inside. I mean, I think it's interesting how, do you see deception now becoming mainstream as a must have? I do. Absolutely. So we have a, we have a patent on the way that we deploy and utilize the deception technology. And, and I really see that as becoming mainstay of what every company should have as part of their cyber defense is that that set of files and or and or servers that are out there to distract and and give that early warning to an attack that's happening. I think a lot of people do struggle too with kind of navigating right that security stack and and getting the budget to support it and and then all the other pieces that, that come with it. And it seems like something like this is just so, so incredibly important. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing is that now as – so we've seen this, this migration of the Fortune 500 really were the first to properly protect themselves. And so now we don't – we don't see the – targets of the world like we did back in 2014 getting hit and it's smaller and smaller and smaller right. companies and so everyone's having to level up right. their cybersecurity just to be at table stakes um, and and so yeah so those budgets are increasing but I mean the thing that the thing that now needs to happen is that CEOs and boards need to, they need to be educated and they need to understand how to hold their IT and security departments accountable because it's something where most CEOs and most boards, that that's a piece that's, that's unknown to them and they don't understand what they need to know. And so, you know, that's again, changed at, <clears throat> At the Fortune right. 500 level, but that's got to come down to the smallest of companies so that at least the CEOs understand what are the minimum table stakes that they have to do to protect themselves. You know, Greg, having worked with boards, I found that it's really difficult to measure cyber. Like, how do you define success in cyber? How do you know you have enough budget um, for that SOC? I mean, that SOC's going to say, hey, here's how many events we have. And the more budget I give them, the more events I get. <laughs> it seems like, you know, yep. there's a correlation there, you know. <laughs> there, there is. So that that's also improving. So companies like CrowdStrike and Sentinel One that are adding AI to their EDR solutions and cleaning up those number of alerts because the the alert fatigue is is real and and you know going all the way back to the target attack that was way back in 2014 they had alerts and that still happens today where companies will get the alerts and they see the alerts or the alerts may just be being logged um, and they just don't have the manpower to deal with them and so companies again companies like crowdstrike and sentinel one are really doing a great job of filtering out that noise Kind of coming back on the the ROI thing, it seems like uh, deception technology. You know, if, if you're able to show kind of the the stopping of the ransomware, right? I mean, I think that becomes an easy calculus uh, for business. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but I feel like I, I read some 
statistic somewhere that, you know, kind of rectifying the cost of, of these kind of attacks and, you know, ransomware, not only what you're paying out, but also damage to business and um, especially larger businesses, right? You know, you stop productivity, there's brand hits, there's all the things, but I, I think it was something equivalent to the world's third largest economy uh, or something like that. I mean, yeah. that's bananas. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's the amount of damage that's being done by ransomware attacks and cyber attacks in general. Um, I mean, it's just gotten out of control. And it's. I think it will take another three to five years to get to the point where the right tools, I mean, the right tools are available today, but actually implementing them having the IT and security departments understand how to utilize them and properly utilize them. Uh, it's it's going to take another three to five years to get this at least under control. And then it's going to be a matter of which companies are, are doing, you know, then it's, it's just going to be a matter of where are the holes remaining that the attackers can get through. Yeah. And I mean, have we seen the bottom I mean, you know, that's our favorite thing in cybersecurity, right? When are we going to see the bottom? But it feels like ransomware, uh, you know, there's you, you kind of get attacked twice, you pay the ransom, then they hit you again because you didn't patch soon enough <laughs> that particular vulnerability, yep. uh, you know, or they, you know, they yep. they give you the wrong key. You know, there's just all these things. I mean, like, what what does the bottom of ransomware look like uh, and just how uh, how much uglier could it possibly get? Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think we've seen it yet. And um, again, I think that that peak is probably three to five years out. And then, you know, then we're going to plateau and eventually decline. Then we'll be on to the next thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, Rachel, I I actually kind of think of ransomware kind of like insurance. You, You know, there's always this reinsurance where you resell it to someone else. Ransomware has the same thing. I, you know, I'll go hack this company. I'll get the ransomware out of them. And then I'll take the same key, same encryption and resell it to someone else. And if they can get in, great. <laughs> yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah. Where And the way, that, the way that it's structured within hacking now, they're very specialized in what they do. So a group will hack in and get the, the keys into the system, but then they won't actually do the the damage and cause the ransom, they'll sell that information to the next attackers. It's a guaranteed outcome. If you think about it, you know, mm-hmm. well, then what do we, let someone else taste. What are we doing sitting here then? Pecco? <laughs> are, are you saying we're in the wrong business? We should go hack systems. Is that what I'm hearing? Rachel? It just sounds so simple. I'll just you know, subscribe to a ransomware of the month club. Uh, you know, and just <laughs> kind of deploy, deploy, see, see what goes out there like I'm fishing, you know, and, and see what comes back. I mean, it, I mean, I, I hear they take Apple they Pay do. too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. So, you know, one of the things we've talked about too, though, Greg, I mean, I, I don't know that we're ever going to see an, an end to, to ransomware, but, you know, aside from things like deception technology, I mean, what what are your thoughts of, you know, how, how do we kind of get them to dial it back a little bit? Is it, if it were only if Bitcoin were regulated or, you know, if there were other kind of means of impeding their, you know, ways to get financial incentives? I mean, it's, how do we look at this holistically too? Well, so the way that we look at it holistically is get international governments to cooperate 
and make it internationally illegal to operate a, a cyber criminal organization. I don't see that happening anytime soon. No. no. So, but that's that's really what it's going to take is international cooperation. Uh, and we did see a little bit of that. So after the colonial pipeline attack um, back in 2021, there there was some, I put quotes, air quotes that nobody right. listening to this can hear, but some cooperation between the U.S. and Russia and shut down um, the our evil group that that perpetrated that attack. But I mean, they also resurfaced three months later as, as a new organization. So um, I, yeah, again, I think taking that international cooperation and between governments and businesses and sharing of information that I just, in the current landscape, don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, very so, difficult. Greg, are you talk? So I'm just trying to think through the steps here. It's almost like you're saying if we had a global system of due due, due process for cyber criminals that was effective and quick. Yeah. So we can do quick yeah, takedowns that, and roll back money through Bitcoin or something else. Yep. And we're we we in the U.S. have a lot of those capabilities now to track cryptocurrency uh, and track back to who these attacks attackers actually are but we have no jurisdiction to do anything and so we really need uh that international law enforcement that i just that again don't see happening anytime soon no it's it's one of the things we've we've talked about a little bit um you know nato kind of running their cyber exercises and what have you and and a lot of the challenges they run into particularly when you're looking at kind of you know all these this global landscape is you know, even just defining something which seemingly simple is what is cyber war? They they can't even get to that alignment, you know. <laughs> so if we can't get to some of the foundational pieces here, right, that would be essential for any kind of, you know, kind of prosecution of illegality. Uh, it's, a, it's a long way off <laughs> for us kind of addressing this. Yeah, it's a long, long, long way off. And insurers are now recognizing or at least trying to recognize a lot of these attacks as cyber warfare and so not covering the attacks as as an act of war yeah it's i i I see uh, cyber budgets increasing in the near future i don't know about you (laughs) because because and they have been increasing but they they need to continue to increase uh and Again, the, the CEOs and boards of, of directors have to recognize, and I, I think that they do now recognize. I mean, that was – if we were having this conversation three years ago, I would say they were just woefully blind. Um, but now it's it's recognized. At least CEOs and boards recognize they need to do something. Now it's a matter of education and understanding what they need to do and then how they hold people accountable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm kind of interested in, in your background a little bit more too, Greg, because as you know, we talk a lot about, you know, cybersecurity is the cost of doing business today and, and kind of, you know, getting, getting more talent right in the industry. Um, and, and you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur. I mean, you've been kind of standing up businesses and, and, and been around for, for quite some time in this world. Um, how, how do we kind of get more people into it? Right. And, and I, I guess it's the first question. And then the other is, 
you know, getting cybersecurity to be truly integrated into new business plans, right? As new businesses start up, like how do we help folks kind of start at the right place from the very beginning? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, with the cyber education and getting more people into the field, um, I, that that somewhat is happening through market drivers that are through pay. Um, it's a it's a great field to get into right now and will be for the for the coming years. Um, but the problem is it really to be be an expert and be a cyber professional. I mean, it takes years and years of experience. Yes. And so we're way behind the curve there. Um, and I, I don't know. I haven't seen the latest numbers of how many short we are in the cybersecurity profession, but it's hundreds right. of thousands worldwide. Uh, so, I mean, that from that standpoint, we absolutely have to have more and more young young people coming into the field. And there are great programs now at, at Notre Dame. Um, Iowa State University here in Iowa has a great cyber program. And so there are some really great college programs in cybersecurity. But again, we're behind the curve there. Um, <clears throat> second part of that question, how do startups and as companies are starting out, how do they integrate cybersecurity in? And it, it again, it's that education piece. It's so much easier to do it from the start as a startup and the, <clears throat> the certification. So like SOC 2 now is much more accessible to a startup and small company. And so those, those certifications are something that I think startups should should begin with. I mean that that now that SOC two certification for companies is definitely any Fortune five hundred companies, but becoming much smaller and smaller companies. That that's just table stakes. Like if if they're looking at a new vendor, new software vendor, and they're not SOC two certified, that's just off the table. So startups have to look at that and have to from the beginning start with cybersecurity in mind and the the right certifications for the company in mind as well greg i've actually found like certifications are critical um to selling because as you pointed out it's more accessible now and the customers expect it and it's kind of if you don't do it what ends up happening is you start getting stuck with fill out these spreadsheets that are 500 questions long and everything else. So SOC 2 or whatever other due diligence they want to do, it's either do them once with a third-party verification that proves you know security, or you're going to do it every single customer. And they might want a pen test yep. on top of that. So right. it's, it's about you know reusing that certification with your customers versus doing it. Yeah. And, and I would have, five years ago, I would have said that SOC 2 certification I wouldn't have said it was worthless because it had value, um, but it it has very very high value now, and there's not there's not teeth to it from the standpoint of you're not going to get into legal trouble if if you don't have everything in line. But at least when you go through the audit process, that auditor is going to be able to determine whether or not you're following best practices or not, and that is hugely valuable today. Whereas Five years ago, it was more of a, a rubber stamp, um, and it's not anymore. Yeah. So, looking ahead at like the next, I don't know, five to ten years, you know, where do we, where do you think we're going to see the most innovation 
happening in, in security or the most advancements forward? So certainly AI. I mean, that that ability of analyzing the indicators mm-hmm. of compromise and filtering out the alerts so that the alerts that do get to human eyes are high value and you eliminate that alert right. fatigue. That's where I see the biggest advances coming. And then, and so that's, that's not only in that machine learning side of, of AI, but also in the rules-based AI. So actually taking action then and recovering on those attacks before it even has to go to a human. Um, and that's, that's what we built Canary on was that rules-based AI to say, okay, if these things are true, then take these automated actions. Greg, uh, AI aside, I mean, when I think AI, you know, there's the traditional AI or ML, and then there's the models that you start start seeing recently, like ChatGTP, where it's trained and on billions of data sets, and it's a you ask it questions and it comes back and answers. I think that could be a game changer for just the workforce getting more cybersecurity professionals in the market, but it also could have the opposite effect where you can bring more, you know, attackers in as well, <laughs> right? Like, hey, how do I write a encryption script? Well, I can't tell you that, but, or if you ask it how you write ransom, it'll say, it can't tell you, but if you break up the pieces and say, how do I encrypt the file? How do I do this? How do I have it communicate? How do I exchange keys? It is both sides yeah. of it. Um, so the attackers are already using AI to one of the things that I've seen most recently is using it in their um, email writing. So that natural language generative AI helps these attackers to write in English much better than they have in the past. Yeah. And they're they're utilizing it in the same when you think about how we use I use chat GPT all the time just to help help in my writing. Uh, and the the attackers are absolutely utilizing that. I've also seen like how do you know the cyber professionals are start saying how do I use this to do you know X or threat hunting or hey look look for this IOC in any of my data sets and tell me what you find about it and it'll write your paragraph you know write your reports yeah or, right potentially yeah yeah it's 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 I mean and that's where I think the next the next several years as these different AI technologies become more and more accessible. Uh, it's we're going to see some incredible innovation, both on the protection and the attack side. Yeah. I think it's going to get more specialized. I mean, ChatGTP is very general knowledge, lots of data. As if you give it more specific data, let's say more cyber data, you kind of have this group of here's everything we know about cyber, and it's really specialized. You know, it might it might infer things that we didn't even consider. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that 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 power of the machine learning and the the natural language ingestion is i mean it's i think we're just beginning to scratch the surface of of what's possible that's exciting actually i mean it it really is i mean it's i feel like we're you know we've innovation has has happened so rapidly it seems like over the last 25 years but i think the pace of change is is just now getting to the the, the yeah. speed that we're going to continue to see. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for the future. I was telling you before, it's, I can't wait till we have the self driving cars where you could just sit in the back seat. 
But Rachel, you already, <laughs> yeah, you already I mean, have we're... that. I mean, last time I checked, I mean, I was one driving and you were sitting in the back seat. So that's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> well, and what does that mean for car ownership yeah. too? I mean, when you don't need a driver anymore and can just come pick you up. Uh, and same thing is happening in aviation. So I'm a private pilot and the, the capabilities that the autopilot of my little plane has, I mean, you really can get, um, about 700 feet off the ground and push a button and it'll fly you down to 200 feet from, from your landing spot. And that with the, um, vertical takeoff and landing systems that are being built now with electric electric vertical takeoff and landing um, and self-flying. That'll be, yeah, self-driving and self-flying is definitely going to happen in our Let's life. Let's put them times. together. I know. Yes. I just, uh, I wish I want my flying car. Earlier. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I shudder to think of regulating a flying car highway. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's actually in flight is actually much easier to regulate because you have three dimensional space. So you don't have the constraints that you do on a, on a highway. So, Greg, I'm curious as a pilot, um, how long have you had autopilot or, or the, you know, the, I guess the self-pilot, I don't want to say autopilot, but the self-pilot, the autopilot, if you will. Yeah. So just, um, we installed a new system in 2020. So it's a Garmin system. We had autopilot before, but it was that autopilot was just um, altitude and keeping yeah, keeping you going in the same direction. Whereas this actually has the flight planning capabilities where it'll fly the approaches so that it'll fly right down to 200 feet above the ground and lined up on the runway. But, but that's, that's like a garment. So I'm assuming that's like almost consumer level, right? Like we've been doing this it for is. probably decades, right? Is what I'm trying to get at, yeah. I think in the commercial yeah. space. Oh yeah. 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 Those full, the, so Collins aerospace was one of the first to build the, what's called synthetic vision and tied to the, the autopilot systems. And that's been around for, 15 years plus. So it's not Tesla. It's not Elon Musk that invented it first is what I'm hearing. Autopilot came <laughs> way before Elon invented the car. Way before. Yeah, depending on who you talk to, it could have come out of Roswell, New Mexico. I'm just saying. So. <laughs> could have. <laughs> next podcast, Rachel. Next podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been deep diving in uh, Amazon Prime and there is, uh, you know, some – some documentary about that uh, on, on classifying documents. Just fascinating, fascinating. It's out there, but uh. I'm, I'm stuck on the Egyptians and the Mayans yes. right now. <laughs> <laughs> little, little older technology. Yeah, and how they were more advanced and everything else that goes into it. I know what happened, yeah. and then what happened? Yeah, they just kind of yeah. little drop off, and you got to rebuild, and uh, crazy. Um, so, Greg, now we're entering the fun part of the podcast. We always like to ask, and do you want to ask Petco your favorite question? Uh, no, you go first, Rachel. Okay. Well, I'm going to steal your your question, but um, what are you reading right now? We're always interested in kind of what you read for fun, but also what you read kind of professionally. You know, what what's of interest to you these days? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I 
I'm reading Selling Your Startup. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so not announcing anything, but <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think that that proper, whether you're actively looking to an exit, so this will be, so this is my third startup and ultimately what you start a company for is to exit and go do the next thing. Um, and so at some point that will be the, that will be the case with Canary. And, um, yeah, that's actually what I'm reading right now is selling your startup and good, all good fundamental, um, best practices for, for how to prep a startup to, to sell. That's wonderful. <laughs> I, I'm, lo- I'm looking at the book right now. I might add it to my list. <laughs> I've not read that one. But it's it, a good one. It's good. Yeah. Five stars on Amazon is what I see. All wow. five. Yeah. 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 So as a serial entrepreneur, Greg, I mean, how do you kind of come up with your next venture? I mean, are you kind of looking for things that inspire you, that excite you, or or kind of what's your calculus here for Yeah. So it's really finding that gap of what what hasn't been right. done yet that needs to be done. Uh, and where I see that na- next is in 5G. So marrying the connectivity with zero trust cybersecurity so that you can hand enterprises an end-to-end solution that they control the network from connectivity all the way through their applications across the cloud. That's so I've, I've, I've identified what that gap is already. <laughs> I'm just now... I'm, Need to need to go do it. <laughs> That's fantastic. But I thought five G had that already. I thought five G had the ability to create like private networks on top of it and everything else. So so it is, but it's not it's not accessible yet, and it doesn't give the control to the IT departments that that they need. So it's still controlled by the carriers, right. and not what I what I see it really, and I have. A long enough experience in technology, I can remember the days of cybersecurity was physical connectivity. Mm-hmm. You you yes. could you could air, actually air gap the system, and you can't do that anymore. Uh, and that's where a properly configured five G system could give that power back. Are, are you thinking overlay networks? So this would actually be it is an overlay network where it runs over the the public infrastructure that exists, but allows the IT departments to take back control of that network, actually have their own IP addressing that they control and control the access points of where that connectivity goes. So it's kind of like the back uh, back in the day we had you know token ring and everything else where you had to depend on that infrastructure and that once you put it in, it's it. This would this potentially could allow you to do encryption over 5G and take back control of your solution and at the same time be agnostic to the technical solution. So in theory, you could use Huawei. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. You could because it doesn't matter. It's it's all encrypted. If you trust in encryption, yes. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> well, throw in quantum, I think you got a solution. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I was waiting for someone to bring that up. I mean, do you think quantum is going to be the thing that everyone's saying it's going to be. I, I hear a lot of mixed messages on that. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a ways to go yet. I mean, if if we can right. get there, it's 
it'll be mind blowing. Um, and I would say we are we're quite a ways there. It's just a matter of can we get it to the point where it's accessible to right. all of us. That'll be an exciting day. Okay. Well, exciting and essentially throw out all of the existing cybersecurity that you have and start over. <laughs> I don't think you throw it out. It just evolves, right? I mean, if you. It, it, yeah, it'll evolve. It's not going to be a, a throw out, but. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I kind of saw cyber go from everything you managed in house to now being managed in the cloud to eventually kind of being managed by both, if you will, or giving off the keys to some experts somewhere. It's definitely evolving. I think the operational technical, the technical is still there and just operational side changes. Yep. It seems yep. like, but uh, I'm, I'm, thank you for everything uh, you're doing to help with ransomware. Yeah. And, uh, Absolutely. And the great yeah, book you're reading. A- I, I added to my reading list already. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I would recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today, Greg. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, and, and what a wonderful yeah. career you've had. I mean, it's, it's, it's always so much fun speaking with serial entrepreneurs and, um, you know, just finding those gaps because that's what keeps innovation moving forward. And it's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me today. This was Fantastic. fun. Fantastic. So to all of our listeners out there, Ready Pet Co., are you going to smash? Smash the adding sound subscribe effects? button, I guess? Yes, the subscribe <laughs> button. Um, so you can get a fresh episode every single Tuesday. Um, so again, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week. And we look forward to catching up with you next Tuesday. Until then, be safe. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. 